the Black Shore Arts Hour. Well, hello. This is, can you believe it, the 92nd episode of the Blackshaw Arts Hour. I'm Ellie and I'm going to be here guiding you through some tasty, delicious treats that taste a bit like scary things. So, in the run-up to Halloween, we have got for you the fifth and final instalment of Black Shuck, the spooky smuggler's tale that we've been following, uh, written by the lovely Duncan Hands, performed very ably by Rachel Knott, Alexander Pankhurst and Tom Slatter and an appearance by Duncan himself. Now this is going to be possibly the scariest bit yet, uh, which one would expect from the final episode. I'm not going to hold you in suspense, I'm going to play this and then we're going to have some more chats about the Scare Slam and a clip from last year's show. So without further ado, settle down, put up your wards, get your protections out, here it comes, Black Shuck. Okay. Okay. I, I, I'll just I'll just wait here. It's okay. Guarding the bags. It's okay. So if you can't keep them away, I, I, I'm here with a vast amount of jail juice. I'll be off to sing sing. Okay. No, no. But think of the money art. Just just think on that. All for Lucy. Just nice stuff for her. And what what could you tell her? Okay. Okay. Um, I haven't made the sacrifices you have, but at least I'm not a blackmailer. No, so here I am, just just me and six bags of bad. Plenty of money. If you don't get caught, if you don't fall in a pothole and drown or get buzzed by the RAF or tread on a weaver fish or upset a farmer with a gun or an omen dog or any bugger else who's wandering about on the marshes tonight. Oh, it's a stupid bloody place. Who come here for a holiday? And keep your voice down. Oh, freaking K. got rid of him. For now. Forever. Forever? You okay? Gotta get out of here. No, gotta wait for the moon. If we start now and lose the way, we won't know where we are to get back on track when the moon does come out. I can't take much more of this. You'll have to. We have to go. Everything's riding on getting out with the gear ASAP. We wait for moonlight. We move now. We'll head for that light on that church. Uh, The pressure's got to you. I mean, you're not seeing straight. I could say the same about you. We wait. You wait. I'm off. Write to me from jail! Or from hospital! You'll break a leg! Or, or, or get hypothermia! Or drown! I'll, I'll be in a, in a Costa del Sol having it large! Larging it up! Woo! Not on some godforsaken salt marsh! Not, not on some crappy little spot on the edge of an inbred county, all cold and mucky and wet and with some. Call to witty brother-in-law! Not busting a gut-eaving skunk around a bog. When the moon comes out. If the moon comes out. If. Bollocks. Bit of Dutch courage. Here we go. Martha? Oi, Martha! Where have you got to? I was only gone a minute. Martha! 
Did you, did you hear the seagull art? Oh, thank Christ. You were right. We shouldn't have split up. What, what, what seagull? <laughs> the seagull! Where are your bags? If only she'd had a little help. Who? There's no seagull. Look at me. We've got to get back to the car. <laughs> You've got to get back to the car. Oh, I'm sorry I left you alone. <laughs> Everybody else has. You need to just... I don't need to do anything. We'll be okay. Think of the money. You think of the money. <laughs> just let's go. You go. I'm beginning to like it here. We've got to go. Ow! I'm going. Your car will still be where you left it. You can follow on when you're ready. <coughs> it's too much. It's not too late. It's too much. Look, it's all right. It's too much. It's all right. Come on now. Come here. It's too much. Oh! Jesus! Oh, you bit... You bit me! For sake! What's in the belly? Oh, Jesus! Mm. Oh, it's worse than that. It's, it's, it's worse. I can't... I can't feel my feet. Oh, damn it! My feet! I can't... Give it... I can't feel my feet. Uh-huh. Oh, God damn! At least when mine went off, it missed. Hmm. I can't move my feet. I can't even feel my feet. Oh, Jesus, that... How are we going there? Oh, g g give me your phone. I've got an idea. Okay, okay. Well, what the hell? That's gone right in the sea. How are we going? We won't. Or rather, we won't. I need urgent medical help or I will die. Painfully. Uh, you really should thank me. I'm, I'm helping the both of you. Both of who? You and Lucy. No! Hurt me, hurt Luce. Uh, I'm doing her a favour. What the hell are you talking about? She'll think you died a hero trying to provide for her. Uh, a, a death or glory shooting star that burnt itself out by burning too bright. <laughs> oh, she won't see you grow old. She, she'll never know the truth about you. She'd have had to grieve over you sometime. This way, sooner than planned, but it's still best all round, don't you think? And if I don't die? Oh, no. Remember why we picked tonight? Don't play games. <coughs> Aren't you curious? I don't care. I'll, I'll probably die. When I'm gone, it won't matter to me. No, probably about it. Guess why we picked tonight? I know why tonight. It's, it's, it's the full moon and the only night we could have done. And the tide? Was it the right time? Now stop playing games. Oh, but that is the game, though. It's also a spring tide. An extra big tide. Why does that matter, Arthur? Because it will be covered here. Oh, yes, indeed. All this will be covered in four hours' time. The perfect place for a murder. I had a moment of clarity, like, like an alcoholic sobering up. I saw it all. I knew something was going on that I couldn't understand and that I had to get rid of you. So me and Luce would be like we used to. This trip was my last chance. If I decided to go through with it, and I did. You were just appalling. No, I just believe in justice. I'm doing you a favour. I'm letting you die in a place you love. How many people get to do that? Oh, thanks. 
Oh, better than dying in some old folks' home, surrounded by people paid to pretend to care about you. I care about you. Oh, clearly. I'm your guardian angel. <coughs> right now, you're the oldest person in the world. I'm 34. Oh, counting forwards, you're 34. Counting backwards, you have four hours. If you don't bleed to death, you'll drown when the tide rises. You know how long you have. Do you have the clarity dying people see yet? Right now, I can't see a thing except a crazy, spiteful hag. I've given you the chance to feel remorse, to, to make peace with yourself for what you've done. Well, one good turn deserves another. How are you feeling? Oh, I, I do have a headache. It's stressful being a guardian angel. I bet. This will soon sort it out, though. Nice drinky. Yeah, help sort you out. Drink deep. <coughs> What's in it? Oh, now that'd be telling. How'd you do it? <laughs> you, you can't have spiked it. You, you were nowhere near it. The only people who could have got near it were me and... Lucy. No! I'm not the only one who wants to be free of you. <coughs> Why? She knows you've been blackmailing me. I bought the arsenic, measured out the dose... All she had to do was pop it in your hip flask. It should never hurt me. Perhaps you you should try being kinder. Maybe not bully people once in a while. Maybe not threaten to let on about my cheating. She'll be alone. The money. What? She's transferred the money. We can't get her the gear and Rob will be after her for the other half. Oh, shit. Shit! Give me that shell back. I want to die looking at something pretty. I threw it in the sea. Spiteful! Doing what I had to. Same as always. Poor Lucy. I did this for her, you know. Me too. You've been listening to Black Shuck by Duncan Hands, with Rachel Knott as Martha, Alexander Pankhurst as Art, and additional voices by Tom Slatter, Duncan Hands, and Ellie Pitkin. The show is directed by Ellie Pitkin, with sound by Andrew Crane. The theme music is Mist on the Moor by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com. This was a Blackshaw Theatre Company production. Well, that was suitably terrifying for everyone involved. Thank you very much, Duncan, for the wonderful machinations of your brain being brought to life there, right for our ears to enjoy.
If scary stuff is your bag, then you are going to absolutely love our upcoming Scare Slam. It is our fourth annual event of the same name. It's going to be as spooky and scary as usual, but probably probably even more so, because uh, for me, these things have become slightly more terrifying each year. There is still time to submit if you'd like to have some of your own work performed. Uh, you can just get involved by going to blackshawonline.com. The deadline for submitting work is the 28th of September. So still time to just get in there if you're quick. We absolutely love reading your submissions and selecting the lineup is one of my favourite things to do each year. It's a really good warm up for Halloween. Now, I am going to be playing some clips from past Scare Slams now and a general warning that they are well, scary, as one would expect, uh, but there's also some adult language and a little bit of gore. So if that's not something you're happy listening to, then I recommend you skip to the end of the episode today where you can just hear my voice again saying soothing things like, hey, book tickets for the Scare Slam. Um, although maybe if you don't like gore and swearsies, then it's not the event for you. Any which way, if you know, if it's not the event for you, then uh, then listen to our back catalogue of other things because they're all, as usual, available on the Blackshot Arts Hour podcast, uh, which you can like and subscribe uh, in all places. You know the things that people always say on podcasts where they're like, oh, it'd be really helpful if you could give us a review and rate us five stars. Well, you know the drill. That would be fabulous. Uh, all right, enough of me, um, present me. I'm going to hand over now to past me at ScareSlam 2017 um, and also um, some of ScareSlam 2016. So uh, enjoy Double Past Me. Thanks for listening. The next piece is called Big Eyes by Liam Stewart-George. Liam is a West London writer with a penchant for making dark children's stories just that little bit darker. When not focusing on the works of Roald Dahl, he flits between writing short stories and plays and is currently developing one of the latter, entitled Man Down. All right, sweetheart. The mating call of the cretin. I turn to see his piercing, smug eyes leering at me. Good evening, I offer frostily. You don't look old enough to be here. I'm not. I'm 14. A flicker behind his eyes as he scans me for signs of deception. A guffaw chokes itself free. Oh, very good. Drink? Yes. What would you like, sexy? Whatever you're having, numbnuts. Surprised they let you in wearing a hoodie. I'd imagine that's the least of their worries. Momentary bliss as the ignoramus turns his back on me. His less appealing front reappears with bounty in tow. He slides the glass over to me, gently fizzing. Glorious. Another bulging smile from him. To us, he gurgles. To you, I correct. And your breathtaking smile. The verbal diarrhoea thickens. I'm not sure I can bear this one much longer. Carelessly, my bag tumbles from my hand. As expected, he is down like a shot, his nose practically grazing the floor as he curtsies to the rescue. His eyes lose me for a few seconds. And the wheel turns. Shall we finish these and get out of here? The thought innocently escapes my mouth. Absolutely. Bottoms up. Indeed. 
He raises his glass high, then guzzles it. Before he can help himself, I can't wait to play with that tight little pussy of yours. Romance and all that. <laughs> Shall I grab us a cab? He remarks. Chivalry personified. No need, I already ordered one. Well, you are fast and loose. Rather playing fast and loose with my patience. Mercifully, the car pulls up and we clamber in. He whispers some sweet nothings in my ear, more nothing than sweet. And then the game changer. Through his ever-rising grin, he breathes into my ear. I put a little something in your drink to help you relax. Information. My eyes dart around the car. All doors locked, all windows shut. He is less than three feet away, meaning any attempt to escape would prove futile. Even if possible, the car is travelling at around 30 miles an hour. Jumping from the vehicle would result in significant injury or fatality. Driver is an elderly woman, powerless to intervene. Thank you, I whisper. He looks bemused. For what? A smile kisses the corner of my lips for confirming that it was you who tried to spike my drink. Tried to. And then, almost simultaneously, realisation floods his mind as the drug streams into his nerves. He grabs for the door handle, locked, grasps at the window, shut. I see the haze begin to seep into his brain. Help. Driver. The words drip from his lips like lead. May I offer some suggestions if you are going to drug someone? I am ever thoughtful. Firstly, don't buy the same drink as your victim. Impossible to keep track of whose is whose. Secondly, do not take your eyes off that drink, even if to politely help out a poor damsel whose bag has ever so carelessly fallen from her hand. And finally, and this one was unfortunate, don't choose me. I slowly and carefully remove the carving knife from my bag. And then a chuckle. <laughs> it's funny. You spoke so charmingly about playing with my anatomy. Now it looks like I'm going to be exploring yours. Then a gag in the mouth. We don't want anyone hearing your howls. His eyes begin to glaze. I better get to work. The little old lady turns around. Everything all right, dear? Yes, thank you, Granny. <laughs> Back to mine with this one. If you don't mind, Granny. I begin to get to work on him. My, what a big penis he has. She mutters, glancing back. I pull my red hoodie up. Not for long. So there you go. That was performed by Jessica, if anyone wants to meet her at the bar afterwards. <laughs> uh, the final official piece of the night, uh, this is before I give you the little story about my dolls, uh, is... <laughs> is called The Watcher by Joseph Willis. 
Born in Sheffield, Joseph studied a master's in writing, directing and performance at the University of York before starting his own horror theatre collective, Dance Macabre Productions. His usual work can be categorised as bloody tongue-in-cheek and his piece, The Watcher, is a psychological horror that taps into his irrational fear that people staring into space are usually doing anything but. I just speak into the recorder. Uh, which one? This this one right here. Okay, um, I'll I'll try and remember everything. But if I need to, yeah. Okay. So we moved into this old house, and whilst it creaked and groaned as it settled in the cold night air, it was what we'd always wanted since we'd moved in together. That was until that Wednesday night at two a.m. when he visited. See, I'd got up in the middle of the night to go to the loo, and there he was, stood on the drive, this tall, pale man. I mean, I say man, he had all the features of one, yes, but they were all stretched, distorted, like pulled taut across his skull like a mask. Like, the face that he had was one that he wore, not one that was his. And he had these eyes, these bulging eyes, and they were so dry, as if he hadn't been blinking, as if there was no need to. And all he seemed to do was watch and stare and watch and grin, this unfaltering grin. Like there was little hooks in the corner of his mouth pulling them into place. And all he did was just keep grinning the more I watched that devil smile beaming in the dark moonlight. I mean, at least he was far from the house, I thought. At least he was far enough that I could get to the door and lock it. I mean, of all the nights for Paul to forget the, to lock the door, it had to be this one. I had to move. I had to stop him. I mean, the only thing was maybe he hadn't seen me. Maybe I was safe. Maybe I could just creep down and he wouldn't notice. The images then began to flash through my mind. Him breaking in a sprint towards the door, his bony hands clasping around the doorframe as I failed to hold on, his eyes bulging as he pushed the door open and walked towards my little son's room. Me failing, me screaming as he just carried on, smiling, grinning. I had to stop him. I set off, but as I did, I fell into the light switch, knocking the lights on and boom, like a giant signal, they came on. He'd obviously seen me now, I looked, fear coursing through my veins to see that he was gone. The door. I ran downstairs, screaming bloody murder as I did, in some hope, somehow, that he'd have run off. And to my surprise, he had. There was no trace of him, nothing, except this little doll on the front doorstep. I got rid of it, chucked it in the bin, and locked the door, and went to Paul, my husband, who in his very supportive way, thought I was crazy. But I wasn't crazy, I wasn't. The next day when I came back from work, there's John sitting with this doll in his hands. I get rid of it again, I take it to a skip nearby so that he can't get to it. But then the next day, there it is once again, in his hands. And each time that I take it away, drown, burn or crush that damn thing, it's there, in his hands. And the more I try and take it away, the more attached he becomes to it crying for days and days on end when I take it away until I give it back. So, when Paul told me that my obsession with the doll had to stop, it was either him or the doll, I, I forgot. 
And I know it was stupid now, but I forgot. Of course I would. So, in the subsequent months, as my marriage slowly repaired itself and my obsession became a thing with the past, we started to do some DIY. It's the way to start a marriage back up. And so, we started painting. I mean, John had got a bit older. He was getting bigger, so we thought we'd knock through his wall into the washroom and give him some more space. But when we knocked through, we didn't find the washroom. You see, there was this secret room in between. You get them sometimes in these old houses where the walls have been plastered over. And in there, there was a mattress, feces, and a pile of dolls. You see, what we thought was creaking and groaning in the middle of the night, it had been him waiting and watching. I couldn't stay there for much longer after that. So we moved to the city where I, I thought it'd be safe. But one week in, I hear screaming, screaming like I've never heard before. And I run into John's room to find him pointing at this doll. And as he does, the, the doll starts giggling and giggling. And as it does, the laugh starts getting deeper and deeper. And then it starts growing. I hear bones crack. What was once paint becomes skin. What was once stumps becomes limbs, toes, hands, claws. And that's when I realized that those eyes, those doll's eyes, they were his eyes. And that smile, that painted on smile, that was his smile. And I froze. I froze as he giggled, as he learnt his skin once more, as he stood up to his full height, as he wrapped his bony hands around my little boy's neck and as he jumped out of the window. See, I'm not crazy. I'm, I'm not. I don't care what Paul says. I didn't do it. I couldn't. I wouldn't. What you found, those tears and shreds of John in the woods, that, that wasn't me. That wasn't. It was him, you see. It was him. That devil smile beaming in the dark moonlight. Uh, Molly Beth Marissa, Mistress of the Macabre, is a writer, theatre maker and performer who delights in enchanting and disgusting her audiences in equal measure. Performing an extract from her upcoming London Horror Festival show, Grey Wing House, 27th of October, 7pm, she'd like to tell you a tale about a girl, a tea party and a special friend. This is Lucy's Tea Party. child is a wonderful thing. You can run, you can jump, you can laugh, dance and sing. <laughs> Endless fun can be had and whole days you can spend just laughing and joking and japing with friends. <laughs> but Lucy Malloy never had so much luck. She was always alone, by herself. She was stuck in a hollow old house with her games and her toys where she tried to block out all the fuss and the noise. The boys and the girls all thought Lucy was queer. They'd laugh and they'd point 
and they'd snarl, and they'd jeer. No, Lucy was happiest when left on her own, in her room, playing tea party, quiet, alone. Alone, save her toys who'd attend her soirees. Her dolls and her bears would all sit there for days. More tea, Mr. Squeaks, the mouse kindly declined. It is a great party, old Ted, you're too kind. Her mother and father were very concerned. So they went to the doctor, and when they returned, they explained to her, Lucy, the doc recommends that you go out and be nice and try to make friends. Making friends? Well, the idea made her uneasy. Well, that's putting it lightly, it made her feel queasy. It was all just too much. It drove her around the bend when faced with the prospect of making a friend. No, she'd much rather stay where they wouldn't make fun. They'd call her a freak. They'd throw stones and they'd run. No, staying alone seemed a much better scheme. She'd pour pretend tea, spread pretend scones with cream. (laughs) One day, as she handed her stuffed cat a cup, Lucy felt quite unwell, and without looking up, she could sense there was now someone sat to her right. As dread thumped in her veins, her eyes snapped shut tight. Hello, Lucy. I'm Evelyn, a sweet, soft voice cooed. May I have some tea? I don't mean to intrude. Carefully opening one of her eyes, there she saw a young girl. Much to her surprise... (laughs) Lucy blinked blankly, quite stricken with awe, see where Evelyn was now. She had not been before. Evelyn looked strange, looked a faint shade of blue. Her hair dank and dark, her lips purplish in hue. Her smile was too wide and showed needle-like teeth. Her skin, paper thin, something moved underneath. Lucy looked in her eyes, large, obsidian, black. And in their reflections, her own eyes stared back. And that's when the teacups all started to crack. And that's when the teacups all started to crack. (laughs) Now in the asylum and strapped to her bed... The only friends Lucy has are the ones in her head. She has one best friend, always there by her side, holding hands, sipping tea, and smiling too wide. So, this is Ben Whitehead who says, this is me doing my Ben impression, going to be the same voice as what I'm doing right now, okay? I'm used to performing in character, but will tell this straight as myself because it's something that happened to me. Based on a real story. Uh, While the incident no longer gives me nightmares, no longer gives him nightmares, the prospect of standing on stage without hiding behind a character mask scares the shit out of me. So please give a very warm welcome to Ben Whitehead. Um, several years ago, 
I went on holiday to Crete. Uh, it was a, a, a touring trip. I, uh, I went with my girlfriend at the time. I'm not going to mention her name uh, just for the purposes of telling the story. It's not out of disrespect or any animosity or anything like that. It just it doesn't seem like it's the, the, the thing to do. Uh, to be honest with you, it was a bit of a, a make-or-break holiday. And, in fact, we, uh, we ended our relationship just shortly after we, uh, we returned from the island. Um, it, was a, it was a good holiday, a plan that we had. It, we, we, we flew into Heraklion. Do you know Crete? Anyone know Crete? It's very nice. I mean, I'd recommend you go, but you probably can't afford to at the moment. So um, uh, it, was a, it was a hire car job from the airport, driving down the island, taking in Knossos, the Minoan uh, um, settlement, um, the, crossing the, the, the plateau, the windswept plateau. is very beautiful. All the time enjoying the hospitality, which is, you know, 32 courses, and that's just at breakfast time. Uh, we got down to the coast and stayed in a place called Lutro, which was beautiful. You had, you, you had to walk there or get a boat. You, uh, you couldn't drive there. And then, uh, then we had sort of one stop to make before we got to Hanya and the, the, the flight home. Uh, and I picked this place called Franga Costello. And I picked it because it had a history, but more importantly for me, it had a ghost story to it as well. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fort that they built. The Venetians built it 700 years ago, apparently to warn off pirates. Um, and there's a little sort of settlement now around the fort, a taverna and some holiday houses and things like that. Um, in the 1800s, I'm getting to the ghost bit soon, by the way, just to like, <laughs> in the 1800s, there was, it was the scene of a, of a siege, and 600 Greek soldiers were in the fort trying to hold off against 8,000 Turkish invaders, and they lost, obviously, uh, against that numbers. Half of them died, the other half surrendered. And it is the 300 or so who died that... They do say you can see on a misty dawn walking along the beach and disappearing once they get to the fort. Now, because of their shadowy, misty-like appearance, they are called locally, and forgive my pronunciation, the trosolets, translated as the dewy ones, which is much more scary. Uh, now, people tell ghost stories for different reasons. And the old days, they'd tell them to, to keep you away from somewhere some of the times. They also tell them to make you come to somewhere. And that's certainly the case with Franco Costello, because that's certainly what drew me there. Um, there's, there's, of course, a local thing that maybe they want these people remembered who died there in such great number. And there, of course, is also the way of just you know, tarting up what is a pretty explainable meteorological phenomenon. The dewy ones, so-called, can be explained just by the refraction. I mean, it's the sun rays in the morning refracting off the mist, and as it rolls in, it makes it look just like people walking along. Well, a little bit like people walking along, anyway. The tellers of these tales will say to you, well, if you have so much death in one place, it's, gonna, it's bound to leave some kind of supernatural legacy on the site. And this might manifest through a ghost army walking up the beach, but it also maybe other ways that uh, the uh, <coughs> hauntings, shall we say, can uh, take place. So we did the tourist bit and went to the castle and uh, looked around it. I got myself in a Larry David situation, which is a completely different story, I'll say, for another time. <laughs> uh, 
we, uh, we realized we needed to find some lodgings, and it was getting towards sunset, so we, we checked into it, and there was plenty of availability, and these beautiful old cottages there, they used to belong to the fishermen, and indeed one of them would have been for the miller, because there was an old windmill there, which had also been renovated into a holiday let as well. Um, so we, 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 we checked into our accommodation, and it was, it was you know, standard holiday let on the inside, tiled floors, ensuite bathrooms, basic lighting. And we know that, by the way, because when I turned on the bedside lamp, the bulb blew immediately, so <laughs> we only had the main light. We went off, went to the, the Trossolette's Taverna for dinner, and then when we come back, the one thing I really realized is that the uh, nice sea breeze we'd had all day had picked up into a pretty stiff, robust, even, wind, and I should have realized there was a windmill there. It was going to get a little bit windy at some point. So we start settling down for the night, and it's blowing hard outside. And the shutters we've got, the shutters closed, are sort of you know banging slightly. It's a bit creepy, obviously, um, especially with all these ghost stories going around my head. So we have the situation, of course, when the light goes out, you've then got to get into bed. Uh, it's pitch dark as soon as the light goes out. And I've got to try and get to bed without stubbing my toe on various things along the way. And then once lying in bed, the wind outside is incredible. I mean, it's really howling horror film wind going on outside. It's totally dark. And I'm, I'm not going to say to my girlfriend, I'm scared. Uh, but I was. So we just sort of like, I just sort of like held hands and gave each other a squeeze and then tried to get to sleep. And it was obviously comforting enough because I dropped off. When I woke up, there was a banging coming from upstairs. Now, it was the shutter, I guess, from the window had come open. There was no one staying up there, otherwise they would have closed it. But it, was, it, was, it wasn't a repetitive, uh, rhythmic bang. It was, it was all over the place. It was a jazz shutter just going for it. <laughs> and... Uh, it was just laughing, but I was, I was very scared at the time. But once again, not wanting to show it, I just I got away. Like, I just hope my girlfriend's awake. I want someone else to be awake as well. So we give it. I had to squeeze, and she squeezed back. And I was like, oh, thank God. And I managed to get off to sleep again. And I woke up again. I don't know how long later. And this time, dead silence. The wind has gone there's, there's no noise at all from outside. There's no banging shutter. It's total silence. And it's even more scary. And I get, the only thing I can hear is my heart beating, basically. And I know my girlfriend's scared as well. Because um, she's squeezing my hand. And I'm very you know, concerned. That's okay. I'll just squeeze you back. It's fine. And then I hear a noise. And there's someone in the room, specifically. There's someone in the bathroom. There's someone moving around in the bathroom. And I, I just froze, and I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm just about to say to my girlfriend, I think there's someone in the bathroom. And before I do it, she's squeezing my hand like crazy, and she's got this grip on me, and she's starting to dig her fingernails in. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, okay, let go, let go. And she digs them in further and further and further. And it's, I think it's starting to break the skin. So I'm 
sort of wrenched my arm away, sort of thinking, well, she must be asleep. She can't realize how much bore she, uh, pain she's causing me now. I, I, I had to turn my whole body over to the side just to release my grip, and that kind of put me out of bed. So I'm nearly falling half out of bed here, get one, one knee on the floor. And I'm like just about to say to her, I think there's someone in the bathroom. When the door of the bathroom opens and the light, the dim light from inside the bathroom floods out the room. And this shadowy figure emerges from the bathroom. And it's my girlfriend. She, uh, she turns on the light, and I I'm obviously can't open my eyes because all of a sudden it's so bright. I'm there holding my hands in pain. And she asks me what's wrong, and I just look at the uh, bed, and it's empty. Like I said, people tell ghost stories for different reasons. Thank you. Oh boy, what a classic selection of scare slam niceness for everybody to listen to. That's really brought things back for me and I hope it's illustrated the great range of formats that we get work submitted in. Sometimes you get poetry, we get um, stand-up comedy, we've had some great stuff in the past from um, Dave Bibby for example, which was very much in the in the comedy vein. And then the clips we've had just now, you know, some of them are anecdotes, some of them are extracts from fiction, uh, all kinds of different formats and, and we really are excited to hear different things every time we haven't had anything musical yet so if you've got um a spooky song up your sleeve that would be very welcome um and and really just any other format you can think of we are open to it all and we're really excited to see what people send in so again that deadline is the 28th of september at midnight obviously the witching hour all the information is on blackshawonline.com um to briefly go over that we're looking for pieces that are around five minutes long um the piece should be performed by a solo performer preferably the person who's written it but if you are a bit shy then you are welcome to delegate that to someone else um and it is just really important as well to note that it needs to be um something you've written um it needs to be a piece of your own writing so i think that's pretty much covered it but as i say go to the website check it out and if you want to just come along on the evening please do. Uh, It's on the 12th of October, 9.30pm, Old Red Lion, as part of the London Horror Festival, and you can get tickets online now. If you go to our website, there's a nice click through on the homepage for you. So, as usual, you can contact us in a myriad of ways. I will play one of our favourite jingles for you to illustrate those in a moment. Uh, Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next time with news of the lineup because we'll have selected by then so we'll be able to tell you exactly who's performing at the show lovely stuff and i can also threaten you with the return of strat and alex do art we've got one in the bank to play you and um well it was a messy one because this time around they try their hands at the wonderful art of papier mache so you can just let that percolate in your minds uh, you've got a lot to look forward to so tune in next time Episode 93 of the Blackshaw Arts Hour. Where can you find Blackshaw? Is it on Twitter? Yeah! That's right! It's at Blackshaw Update. Is it on Instagram? Yeah! 
That's right. It's at Blackshaw Theatre. Is it on Facebook? Yes. That's right. It's at Blackshaw Online. And don't forget, you can also find Blackshaw at BlackshawOnline.com. Yes. Go on. Treat yourself to something. Subscribe to the Blackshaw Arts Hour on your generic podcast resource. You deserve it.